0: Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, already I heard Dave, when I was in the back, uh, tell you to turn to Psalm 46. So if you will turn to that, that will be wonderful. But with your permission, before you do that or while you're doing that, I would like to say a couple of words. Now, I might tell you they're just my own opinion. And uh, I realize that it is just my own opinion, not necessarily right. And I mean that, and I mean that hopefully humbly. But I I obviously wouldn't say it if I didn't believe I was right. (laughs) And also, I want you to know I'm a very patient person, and if you don't happen to agree with me, we can wait till we get to heaven and then you can say you were right. I'm patient, so don't <laughs> worry about it. But, no, but to share something with you, if I may, from a personal perspective, first I would like to mention something about Pete and Angie and then about Skip and Lenya. First of all, I met, when I met Pete and Angie some years ago and got to know them and uh, then in these recent uh, last couple of years, we have had a number of talks and very good ones. And I want you to know I have personally come to love them very deeply. I believe that the Lord has his hand upon their life and that he has an incredible call planned for them, a destiny for them, and uh, that I believe that they will yet fulfill. I truly believe that. I also believe that one day they will look back at this particular time in this event in their life. And they will call it an act of impatience. One day, I believe, they will be speaking to pastors and leaders. And I believe that they will be looking and say, we were tired, frustrated, impatient for the Lord to work. And we took it into our own hands at the time. This is just my opinion, and I say that in the greatest of love for them. I think of them in a sense, and I think of Pete almost as David, a man who had an incredible call upon his life. One of the most incredible calls in all of the Old Testament. A tremendous servant of God he was, perhaps Israel's greatest king, perhaps the greatest king in history, is my own personal opinion of David. God had called him, and he had anointed him, and he had given him a call. But God also there laid out years and years and years of calamity for him, of trial, of difficulty of struggle they were carefully designed by God they were carefully planned out by God tests of David in tribulation for David and it was very important there I think for David to learn as anyone it's one thing to be anointed to be king but it's another thing to actually become that king that you have been anointed to be one is God gives it to you but it takes time to build a depth And the things that I believe he is going to put into Pete, things that he went on to do and to put within David, showed wonderfully. But it was also David as well. He had times of impatience in his own life, didn't he, if you know his life? Times when impatience, you know, and frustration and failures came upon David in his own experience. And during those times, later on, he was to look back and he would say, I said in my haste, there is no God. David himself was to testify and to look back in his own weariness and his own frustration. David himself knew what it was there to say in his own heart, I shall now one day perish at the hand of Saul. There's nothing better for me than I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines. The Pressure will be off. We'll, no more trials. I'll escape it. Down David went. He sent, spent some 16 months down there in the land of Ziglag with the Philistines. You see, David had grown weary. The tests were hard. The pressure was there. But yet at the same time, even then, under the pressure and under the terrible trials that he was still yet to go through. In this difficult time, David learned to encourage himself in the Lord. And God took it. And he used it in his life to equip him. And to teach David to be a man that would truly wait upon him. He was to infuse deep depths of character and maturity within him. David was to become a better man, and a better leader through these trials. I sincerely believe those same things of Pete and Angie. By the way, I didn't ask Skip anything about this. I just came, and uh, and I didn't ask for permission. But that's where my heart's at, and I believe though that Skip would feel the same. And I also want you to know I would be uh, among. Pete's greatest fans, one that I would love to be there at his side when I believe God one day raises him up. God is a great steward of lives and even of the trials and the difficulties in lives and I believe when he does he'll be a better man than he ever was and he'll be a stronger man and a deeper man for it. Skip and Lenya. No escape route needed yet I'll keep going? (laughs) <laughs> and again this is opinion but my own opinion personally is he never should have left just that simple that's uh, just again an opinion through the years Skip called me on a number of occasions and talked at times when he was seemingly tempted when he felt maybe I need a new thing What is there? And and kind of as we all, anybody that's been in the ministry or anybody, any of you that have held a job in the same position or some role, there's times to where you wonder, is there something else? I wonder about it. And he'd call me. And on each occasion, my counsel, for my personal opinion on it, for what it's worth, was that I felt and I would tell Skip, I said, you know something, Skip? God to me, he's given you a tremendous role in the center of this country. And he's opened it up to you like no other place I know in the center of this company, country and how he is using it. And the way God has used you tremendously for evangelism, I don't know how many of you that would be here today were led to Christ by Skip and by his ministry. He's given to him a great you know, radio ministry that touches uh, thousands of lives every single day to comfort and to strengthen and to minister to them. He planted a number of churches and uh, ministries, trained many pastors. Many people are coming to Christ through all of these outreaches. Bodies are becoming strong. There's missionaries. Planted a Bible school. Things that are there that is a tremendous platform that God has given you to operate in. And so each time he spoke to me, I told him, I think you ought to stay the course. That was my opinion And uh, on it. it maybe right, maybe wrong. Uh, one of the things, that didn't bother me whenever, not, very few people have ever taken my advice, by the way, so it didn't bother me <laughs> on that. But uh, anyway, that's what it was. I actually, in quite, in, in, genu- in, in honesty, I do have what I suppose, or I used to have, I don't have it like I used to, but a significant problem with Skip. And, uh... Uh, frankly it's the same problem, just I might be quite honest with you, it's the same problem that through the years I've had with Greg Laurie, with Mike McIntosh, Rawl Reese, Joe Foch, Bob Coy, and some others. And I've noticed not only have I've had these problems with them, others have the same problem. And I speak very honestly to you. The problem is jealousy. You see, one of the things I will tell you I look at all of these men and the way God has raised them up and the way God has used them. I don't know how many times there's been a a jealousy, an envy. How do they do that? God, why do you do that for them? God, smack them, hurt them, (laughs) you know, or something. This is not fair. I've dreamed of preaching as they do. I am no preacher. I know that. I have I think that I, could, I share that's what I, I personally think I'm more of a sharer of things I don't think of myself much as a preacher and when I think of preachers I was converted under the ministry of Billy Graham that's a preacher you know and I and I've been around guys to me that have been preachers I've uh, spent a year with a man named Alan Redpath he's in heaven now but he was a preacher and I would look at so many other lives and I've uh, I've come to rest uh, I've found peace in trying to figure out why God's never used me as I suspected he should have but uh, <laughs> at any rate this last week I spoke to Pete as well and uh, we had a conversation and as I was sharing with him I said you know Romans 8.28 is still in the Bible and I don't think it's been taken out and I believe God is working all of this together for good, all of it, every bit of it, I truly believe that and he works it there for those who love him and those who are the called according to his purpose. That's not just you and that's not just me. That's all of us that God calls and he sets aside and those that love him. And there's something there to where it works together for good. And as I was talking to him, I couldn't help but snickering a little. In fact, I told him, I said, frankly, Skip, there's a part of me that I actually like this happening to you. I said, forgive me for it, but it's there. And, uh, and he was wondering why that was, and I said, I'll tell you why. If you run my own opinion, to me, as I've known Skip and Lenya for many years, but to me personally, and I don't, I, the only way I knew how to look at it, I said, for some reason, you two have always reminded me of the couple on the wedding cake. You're just too pretty. Things seem to come so easy to you. In a sense, the they, ministry has come, and service has come, and evangelism has come, and all of these things seem to have come, sometimes so easily. And, uh, you know, and uh, although there's no such thing as the couple on the wedding cake, some people remind you of them, and they look like that. And they seem like they may have come easy. Well, they may or may not have. And I laughed at Skip, and I said, Skip, those days are over. <laughs> I was happy. But anyway... <laughs> and I believe he'll be the better for it G. Campbell Morgan the great preacher was once on a vacation with his wife and while they were off vacationing they went to this little church and there was a young preacher and he was so moved by his message that he literally wrote down uh, he had a five point message and he'd written down all of them and he he couldn't stop thinking about it and wanting to take it and work on it and do something with it he came out and he turned to his wife and he says honey wasn't that a wonderful message and she said oh it was okay she said, okay. He said, okay to her. What do you mean, okay? I thought it was tremendous. And she said, it was okay. She said, why do you say it was okay? She said, it's okay, but it'll be better when he's been hurt. And there's something about life that when we go through times, Paul was somebody, as Paul wrote in, in Romans, he says, tribulation. He said, he's, he's, even so, he says, we glory in tribulation. And and here, the amazing thing, Paul the Apostle, he says, knowing this, we glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation works. Isn't it amazing? The Apostle Paul, this wonderful, godly man of depth, unknown to us, Hear this man, he looks there and he says, I glory. We all glory in tribulation in these trials that come through our life. And he says, because tribulation works. I think sometimes we have a tendency that we look at people and uh, they seem so spiritual. And they seem so wonderful. And we realize, boy, how deep and how strong you have become in Christ. As if it was something that just happened to him. Or we pick up Paul's writings and just think, boy, could he write the comfort in the words, the wonderful things he could say. How did he do that? Or we would pick up the Psalms and and we see these tremendous Psalms that bring so much comfort. Sometimes, you know, we get this picture of almost David or Paul writing scripture just saying as if they're out on the beach at Waikiki, you know, with the, the waves rolling in and the white sand. Oh, it's so beautiful here. I'm going to write a psalm. But Paul was one there. He says, no, I'll tell you how where my message and my life in Christ has come from. It's come through trials the same way it happens in everybody else. Because Tribulation works patience. And patience which experience, and experience produces hope, and hope maketh not a shame for the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. Paul said, "I grow like everyone else through the trials of life, through the struggles, and the heartaches and through the burdens. And then you I've picked, may as well just get you all. I'm getting on a plane tomorrow. I go home. I don't care what I say. But anyway, <laughs> what about all of you then? Are you just some sort of irrelevant fixtures having to go through this confusion so you can watch a couple of pastors grow? And is that what's going on here? Is that it? No. You're here that you can grow yourselves as well. We all go through these times. No one's insulated from them. On one hand, I wouldn't wish some of these things on my worst enemy. But God is infinitely sovereign, and he has a way of taking us in and through our lives in the way that we all grow. I'll tell you, if you've got a deep and strong marriage, you've had trials. And if you haven't had trials, I question the depth of it. When there's the union in raising children, God gives you trials. He gives you all sorts of difficulties in, in life specifically designed to take you deeper and stronger with him and with one another. And it's these times, I believe, that are equally as well within a fellowship. Well, Psalm 46, my time's about up here. So, but it's not a long psalm, and it won't be that hard, but I want to get into it. This actually isn't a psalm of David, but I love the psalms. Every day I get up, and the psalms are my my diet, more than anything else. I love reading Charles Spurgeon. I read him every morning as well. But the psalms, there's something to me so wonderful about the psalms, uh and and what they have to say to us but here as we look at this one it's psalm 46 as he writes for us there he says god is our refuge in strength a very present help in trouble he just starts it off here with a statement that i think most christians would just subscribe to i agree with that of course he is and you know, God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. How simple, how wonderful it is. And how many times can we pray and say that ourselves? How many times do we find ourselves agreeing with that? Yes, I agree. God's a refuge. God is a strength. He is a very, very wonderful present help in times of trouble. And yet the thing is, is that we so often we agree with most of the Bible when when it doesn't apply. Uh, When we have our problems with it is when now God wants to take something that we have said to him over and over and over in theory and now there's a time it needs to be put into practice that's when do we mean it or not is it real or not it's one thing to say God's my refuge and strength the very present help in trouble but what do I do where do I go when trouble comes when real trouble happens. How do I act? How do I behave? What is it that occurs? Is it something there that immediately goes into gear? I find there when trouble happens, when difficulty, a trial, a struggle comes. Is it there, number one, I just immediately, well, of course I know right where to go. God is my refuge and strength, a very present help in struggle, a very present help in trial. And, you know, the wonderful thing I think that we have the opportunity to do is there's not a lot of times in life that there is something of great pressure and difficulty and trial and struggle going on. And many times we tell the Lord, I love you. We tell the Lord, I trust you. How many times have you told him that? How many times you just, you know, driving down the road or you hear a song and you just sing it how I love you? A psalm or a, a you know, word or something that's spoken and you hear the message. I agree with that. It's very good. But there aren't an awfully lot of times where we have the opportunity, I believe, to really make good on that truth. And I believe we're honored in the times in our life, whether we know it or not. Time sometimes there where our own child is in the emergency room. Time there to where our marriage is right on the line. Time there where the trouble and the difficulty and the burden and the heartache of life is right there. And then was, to me, one of the most honorable times that we have. The greatest honor God gives to us to be able to say, Lord, I tell you all the time I love you. I tell you all the time I trust you. But rarely is there somebody on the table in there. Rarely is there something that seems life or death. Rarely is there something that is really a true great time. And Lord, now I want to take advantage of this time. I am honored that you would give it to me. And I am honored to be able to tell you, you are my refuge and strength. I trust you now. I trust you with my heart. I trust you with my life. I give it to you. And here in, the, in this psalm, when he gives it to us, oh, what a picture he draws for us. When he says, God is a refuge and strength, a very present help and trouble. For then he turns and he gives what an unbelievable illustration. And uh, he says, therefore, will you not fear? And then he, you look at this picture. He says, though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea and though the waters thereof roar and are troubled and though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. What a picture. What an amazing thing. He says, you are my refuge and strength and even at a time when the earth is removed. When everything I have that I stand on bedrock. The most, the greatest foundations and stabilities or whatever it is that I have underneath my feet. The earth's moved. And the next thing you know is everything underneath me, the earth quakes, everything is falling apart. I look over there and he says the mountain is all of a sudden it's carried into the midst of the sea as if some hand came down, grabbed it. Or an explosion, an eruption that literally picked up the top of a mountain, threw it out in the midst of the sea and the waters there of roar and are troubled. So much, I mean, if you could just imagine there a mountaintop dropped into the sea and the tsunami that it would create. And here which it did, for the waters thereof roar and are troubled, and then the mountains shake with the swelling thereof as the, as the earth does, so the waters do swell, and the tsunami now comes rushing back against what's left after the mountain, the earth has been removed underneath you, the mountains have been carried off in the midst of the sea, and now you see a tsunami coming at you. Coming right at the face. And now, here is when he turns there and he says, he says, you are my refuge and my strength, a very present help in trouble, therefore I will not fear. And though the earth is removed, and though the mountains are carried in the midst of the sea, and though the waters thereof roar and are troubled, and though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, what a wonderful faith to be able to have to say, Lord, this is who you are. And you're the one that I come to. And you know... Times like this in life, it may happen in your home, it can happen in your family, it can happen in all sorts of environments where all of a sudden you've you've, uh, you've been destabilized like this before. We all have. And times there where the mountains shake, you know, the, the earth has moved, everything is chaos. But those are great times. They're wonderful times, I think, in our lives. Such times like this, though, on the other side, it always is interesting, in a sense, to me, to watch people. How are they when these time come? Do they find they react in panic, anger, bitterness, wrath, deep, you know, sorrow there, hostility? Do they dispatch a, you know, a a crew to go out and find out exactly who or what it is that, that made the earth unstable? Who it was that blew the mountain into the midst of the sea? Who it was, where the water, you know, who caused this tsunami? Where is it? And find themselves there running around who it is and we think it's this and we think it's that or whatever else. It's also a time I've noticed where others have used times like this to add to the concern or the misery or the confusion of others. But some, when these times happen, they know a greater truth. They know the truth of the psalmist here. And they know that there is a place that the Lord wants to take them. In these times. It's a different world. It's an entirely different world. And it's a world that the Lord has always planned for us. It's a world there that is ultimately the destination of every one of us sooner or later. It's the world that God wants for us every moment of every day of all of our lives in a sense. And it isn't here. And it isn't one. He says, I'm going to teach you how to fix this world or change this world or resolve all of it. It's found in him it's found in who he is nowhere else a few days ago i took my wife to the doctor and while she's in i'm sitting out in the waiting room and in the waiting room uh, they had on a tv you know program one of these afternoon uh, uh, programs I don't know, I'm not home in the afternoon very much, and so I don't uh, sit around watching uh, these things much. But one of these kind of interview programs where they had a bunch of chairs up on the, uh, you know, the stage there, and uh, they had family and uh, in-laws and all these other people with huge problems, and the interviewer there is supposedly trying to solve some family problems. And we're sitting there watching this thing. And, but as the members, as they kind of get this program going, and now what is your problem? Now what is your problem? Now let's, okay, let's talk about it. Let's, let's do this and that. But it didn't take long to realize that the very people that were there supposedly trying to counsel the people as the program host, as he's supposedly to be trying to help it, he's actually egging them on. <laughs> he's actually there. You're watching this thing. And I'm, I'm, again, I don't even, I don't even like these shows, but it took about five minutes. I'm into this thing. Yeah, I'm. I'm, I could get. I want to take off afternoons and go home and see this again. It was very entertaining, but it was something there that it didn't take long until everybody's into it. The entire crowd all has a position, and they're verbal and they're screaming. And somebody would say something on there. It wasn't just another member of the family over here now that said something. They already had you know whatever group of the audience that they could have, and you you just watch this thing. It's one side and then another side. You know, going back and forth as tempers are being unleashed, and you get the sense as you're watching it, this is all part of the program. This is what it's all about. And I realized there, they weren't there to resolve anything. They were after ratings. This is just ratings. And uh, they, and they were hard, they could hardly wait in a sense. You could just see them waiting till fists were being thrown. Hopefully, a chair would fly. And literally it worked to that until finally they're at this thing and then out of nowhere appeared four huge all black, you know, wearing black outfits bouncers. You know, they came out there to restrain the people there and you realize these guys, they didn't just walk in the door, they're part of their staff. They, these guys, okay, we got, the program goes this long. We're going to get it going this far, and then we're going to need you guys to come in and solve this thing. And yet at the same time, they it was they, they were the ones that created the very mayhem uh, that they were doing. It was a wonderful show. I loved it. <laughs> But you know, the answer in life is never so much of who can, who can swing the biggest fist, who can throw the chair the hardest, who can shout the loudest. The answer in life is who can find another world. Who knows of another place? Because here the answer is, as he turns there and he says, God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth be removed, though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and are troubled, and though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. And then he says, there is a river. The streams thereof make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her in that right early. Here the Lord looks at the psalmist as he looks at everyone else in the whole of all of the world, where he puts us on this planet, he puts us in this world here. And it's a world there that is that is, is human. And it has all sorts of struggles, and he puts in there a marriage, and he puts in there children. You know, a lot of people, how many of you got married to solve your problems? <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't mean to get off. And then he gives us these things called a marriage. Or else then we decide, I know what we need around here. We're bored. Let's have children. And the next thing you know, you bring these things into the world. (laughs) God he's such a sense of humor. He says, oh, they actually asked for it. (laughs) And he puts us into this planet with humans. And then he lets us there come to one another. And through life, he allows in his sovereignty... Trials and struggles and heartaches and griefs and miscommunication and letting each other down and failing. He allows all sorts of events. But somehow or another his great plan through all of this isn't to fix this one as much as it is to teach us that the way that you fix is is you find a higher life. You find a greater world. You realize indeed is there or is there not a river the streams thereof. Make glad the city of God. Does it exist or not? Is there a place that you can go? You know, the tabernacle of the Most High. Is there a place where God says, I am there and I'll meet you there. We're always saying, God, get down here. Get down here. Get down here. Get down here and fix this thing. And I believe God spends a a whole lot of time. If we could listen and say, I'll tell you what, why don't you come up here? And it'll be half fixed by you getting out of there. And coming up here. Is that not true? Is that not true? I, 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 I don't know how many. I don't you, I, With my marriage, I can tell you. Those of you who know my wife. I mean, she's one problem that I've always had with her. I'm a Scotsman. And I don't know what you know about Scotsmen. And I'm pretty full-blooded Scots. And by definition, the Scottish people, we are defined as tribal and warlike that is who we are we must be that and uh, in order to be Scottish you just have to be that well my wife I've been married 37 years I don't know how many hundreds of times I have tried and tried and tried to start one decent battle with that woman (laughs) And, and she is the most chicken hearted woman in the world she just simply says I'm going up thank you very much you want to stay here I'm leaving, I'm going to heaven. (laughs) I'm going to go wait. I'm going to go pray. God has an answer. And when one leaves, the other kind of says, well, (laughs) you know, or whatever else it is. But it's through these things in our life, through these things to where we find ourselves turning and finding, is there truly for the child of God, you and me and our issues in life and our struggles in life, whether it's in the home or the marriage or the family or in the body of Christ, is there or is there not a river? Is there not a stream that makes glad the city of God? Is there not or is there or is there not a holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High and God dwells in her, in the midst of her? And he says, the issue in life is for you to come up and be with me and dwell with me and seek my face and be in my presence and find my life, share my power. And I'll tell you the most wonderful thing. I think some people look at that and they say, you are an escapist. You are, you are an escapist. And I've got to tell you, you know, some people maybe look and say, you know, you've you've got your head in the sand. Well, I am an escapist. I am an escapist. Only I don't hope my head's in the sand, I hope it's in the clouds, I hope it's in heaven. And that we would learn, that's the way. You know, that God, you know, and and many people, they, they, they they're not going to solve it that way. That'll solve nothing. But how interesting, you look and you watch God on how he took David, and you read through his Psalms, and you tell me what his solution was. A man there you could shut up at the back of a cave in absolute darkness. You could surround him by 3,000 chosen men of Israel. You could put pressure on him that would heap on him in piles and in pressure and in fear of everything and within every bone in his body your life is soon over. And yet there you learn to escape in the back of a cave. He say, the Lord is my light in my salvation. Whom shall I fear? He found there a way, Lord, I can find a rest in you. I can find a strength. He could be in a a dry and thirsty land, and yet he could find a river. He could find a strength. He could find a nourishment where nobody else knew it was possible. He found a refuge. May I ask you how many of us, how many of you know of such a river, know of such streams, know of such a city, know of such a world to where we all profess we're going, But do we know it? And is it real now? Is it some place that I can enter into? Is it a place there when I do enter into it? Some of the great calamities of life, of the marriage, of raising my children, of the trials of my career, issues with my health, or whatever else there may be within my life. Is there some place I have found this place is real? And I can go there. I'll tell you, once you do find it, Once you find it and once you know it's there, there'll never be another place you want to go. There'll never be another world you want to escape off to. Once to me, I think of Jesus just wanting there to take his disciples. And when in the times those that would want to go, like the times with Peter, James, and John, that there with the trials and the battles of the struggles, but there to have Jesus steal you away for a time. And there as you would look up and all of a sudden you saw him transfigured in his glory. There with Moses uh, on... uh, 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 you know, on, on on one side, and Elijah on the other. And there as they talk, and there they converse, and you realize their amount of transfiguration. You see him high, you see him lifted up, you see him in his glory, you see him in his power, you see him in his realm. You see him in his tabernacle. Like Peter, James, and John, you'll find your way back there again and again and again. There is a tabernacle of the Most High God. And when we learn to dwell there, and we learn there to long for it it will change us you can't go to that river you can't go to that stream you can't find yourself in that city that's made glad you can't find yourself in that tabernacle without being changed and being the different for it you drink from those rivers you drink from those streams you build yourself a tabernacle there in your heart for him like that your life will never be the same When Jesus has taken you aside and he's brought you aside with him up into the upper room. And there you watched him with your own eyes. Wash all of your feet together. You'll be changed. When you watch him come to one to another after another with the bowl on his side. And those that you could easily be at odds with and jealous of. And those that you could look at. I'm the greatest. No, you're the greatest. Who's the greatest? Nobody's the greatest. Or whatever else we argue. And then you watch him, the greatest of all, as he comes and says, I'll show you greatness. Wash one another's feet. Once you've been there in the upper room, you're never the same if you've really been there. If you've really had your feet washed and you've washed another's, you realize he who is forgiven much loves much. And the washing of feet within your marriage, within your children, within your family, in any realm that it happens in, it's either a real world or it's not. There's either something that happens that when Jesus would take us aside and we find us there with the honor of being able to be taken with him to Gethsemane. And there you can sit and you're honored with being able to hear him. sweat as, as he prays and as he sweats as it were great drops of blood. And you're watching the agony within his heart. And you're realizing his love for heaven, the reality of heaven to him. Where he came from, where he was soon going to back going back to. And the price he was to pay for every one of us to get there. If you've been to Gethsemane and he's taken you aside and you've listened to him and he says, Oh, Father, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so send I them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified through the truth. And need neither pray I for these alone, but for all of them that shall believe on me through their word, that they may be one. Thou Father art in me, I in them, that they also may be one in us, and that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou hast given me I have given unto them that they may be one. And to think of Jesus turning, Father, the glory which you gave to me, I am giving over to them, that the great battle of being one will be as much theirs and longing their desires as it is for us, for them, I and them, thou and me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them, for thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me, where I am, that they may behold my glory, for thou lovest me before the world began. You go to Gethsemane. You sit there and you watch him. And you see his heart. You see his prayer. You watch the blood drip down. You will never again be the same. You look at yourself. You look at your wife. You look at your husband. You look at your children. You look at your world. And you'll find something in him. Jesus, I don't ever want to go back there the same. I've got to go there, but I want to be different. And then please notice, as he nears the end of this psalm there, that once you've been there, you'll find an arsenal, in a sense, of weapons to fight that are unknown, in a sense, to this world, the way the world fights. And now, he says, once you've been there, and once you've been in heaven, once you've been to Gethsemane, once you've been to Transfiguration, once you've been in the upper room, once you've been taken aside, once you've you've had a drink from the streams and the rivers, they change you, they ruin you for all other forms of battle. There, there is something where he says, come now, behold the works of the Lord. What desolations he brings upon the earth. He maketh wars to cease. And to the ends of the earth, he breaks the bow. He cutteth the spear asunder. He burneth the chariot with fire. He looks there at all the conventional methods of battle the world looks at and says, oh, get me my bow and get me my arrow and get me my chariot. We're going to war. And he says, you'll never need those again. is isn't how we fight here. Even as when Jesus came down from Gethsemane and Peter pulls out, you know, oh, you know, sword, I'll die for you. You look at Peter, (laughs) you know, he comes out, he whips it out, cuts off the servant's high priest ear. I mean, (laughs) not much of a shot, you know, obviously. Had to be quite a picture. It tells us Jesus picks up the guy's ear, sticks it back on his head, Peter, I mean, it's just, I don't know why it's so humorous to me. But anyway, you know, but I mean, with the way that we are ready to go do something, we are so willed, Lord, I'm serving you. This is for your kingdom. I'm ready to die for this. I'll put my stake in the ground and I'll be so glad I did it. And I did it this time and this way and this how. And then to have Jesus look at you and say, Peter, we're in a war that none of this equipment works here. Don't ever use it again. It's not how we fight. Isn't it true? How many, how many battles in your marriage and with your children have you won with weapons? How many of you won with, you know, bows and swords and chariots? Well, and he says, I make them to seize. They're not needed here. Paul writes and he says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare, they are not carnal, but they are mighty through God, to the pulling down of strongholds. Here he looks there and Paul says, don't ever even think of those manners of war. They don't work. We have something far mightier through God. The pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations of every high and thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Here, Paul says, you want to fight something. You've got a problem in your home. You've got it in your family. You've got it in your church. You've got it wherever it is that you'll have him and we'll have him till he comes all designed to get me into heaven. But if I've got there and I've learned anything, I'll come down and there'll be a casting down of this whole imaginary world that we have an ability to see, you know, has to be dealt with in one way or another. When you can look at your husband, look at your wife, look at others and say, God, the things I imagine. You'd have two wonderful people with two different imaginations about each other at odds with each other. But when high things get up there and we find ourselves, Lord, I want to bring every thought of my mind into the obedience of Christ. And here, when the Lord bids us to come, make no mistake, He, he, I may be an escapist, but he's not. He says, I'll go and I'll handle it. For in verse 10, he says, Be still and know that I'm God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. God says, I can fight my own battles. Thank you very much. What I would like for you is be still. Be still. And know that I'm God. You said I was. You said I'm your fortress. You said I'm your defense. You said I'm your high high tower. You say there that I'm I'm your refuge. Be still. And know it. Just plain know it. And I don't know about you. Sounds simple. Until all of a sudden the earth is being removed. The mountains are carried in the midst of the sea and there's all this commotion around you and there is all of these things there that are going on. And the world is, you know, coming to pieces around you at those times. Now, the Lord looks at us. And he says, be still and know that I'm God. That's the environment of this of this psalm. Look at me. Look at me. And years ago, we were given a Doberman pincher. I don't know what you know about Dobermans, but if somebody gives you one, give it back uh my suggestion but this was given to us and uh but we ended up we decided that my boys immediately fell in love with it and it was too late to give it back so we began to train it and they are all you know they're just angry dogs they just have this terrible anger but i figure if somebody cut off my ears and my tail i'd be angry too but anyway they're just angry And uh, they just got this in them, it seems. And we determined here with these little boys, we've got to train them. And we ended up, it took us years. In fact, there was a man in our church who, who actually trained dogs for the Los Angeles Police Department. He took a work with her for a while, showed me how to go on training her. But by the time we were done, she was never again in a leash in her life. I could take her anywhere. She was trained in such a way our kids could come, pull her cheeks out, stick their fingers in her ear, pull our, you know, eyes, do whatever they wanted to, you know. And she would sit there sometimes and she'd look over at me, you know. And so she kind of sneers. Her teeth would show a little. And she'd just look at these kids. We'd deliberately, here, heard it, kick it, <laughs> do stuff to it, pull her ears, you know, and do all of this. And she, and just training her. And then, but she would look over at me at times. And she just knew she couldn't do it. But you could just see like, please, once can I just kill one of them, you know, or something? I'll never do it again. Just one kid, you know, or something. But something there to where this people could, you know, but we determined. We would take food. We would put it on her nose and let it sit there for sometimes up to an hour. She'd just get cross-eyed, just staring at this thing. Wouldn't touch it. We could leave her in our house all night long and have food on the table and never touch it. We had all of these things that we had trained her with. Alan Redpath, when he used to come, he was always amazed at this dog because she had learned so well. She was so obedient. She could be in one point of the room and I could look at her and she would make eye contact. I could look over to another place in the room and she would get up and walk over and Redpath said, I've never seen an animal like this. I've never seen. It. And she would, she would just respond. But, you know, in the Psalms, David says about God, he says that he wants to lead us with the leading of his eyes. He says, don't be like the horse or the mule that must be led about with a bitten bridle. God says, I want to just have you look at me. And you look at me and I'll lead you. I'll guide you. And when we learn that obedience, when every thought is being brought into a sense of obedience, that's what God wants for our life. Being still. Being quiet. Waiting patiently. As God says, be still and know that I am God. Do you know that tonight? Have you been to that city? Have you been the one there where he says, you know, there, you know, the, there is the river, the streams thereof, make glad the city of God. The holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her in that right early. In his time, right on time with him. Us, it's never on time. He's always late, but not Him. And when you can rest and I can rest and say, Jesus, my business is to go there and to rest there and to wait there. Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. If you would like more information about what you've heard in this message or about Calvary of Albuquerque, please visit our website at www.calvaryabq.org.